0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Last time we were looking at the Book of Acts, we read about Barnabas and Saul in Antioch, and we looked at how the Gentile church there had grown. And it had got to a point where a leadership had been established, and then it began to be recognized that Barnabas and Saul had a different call on their life than what they were doing. And so the church set them aside And sent them out. And I think that's about where we left it at the end of, I think it's something about verse 3 in Acts 13. And this week we're going to look at what happened when they got sent out. It's what's often referred to as the first missionary journey of Paul. So we're reading from Acts 13 verse 4 onwards. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Pathos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind And for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Strong words. Strong words. You are a child of the devil an enemy of everything that is right. Strong words, aren't they? Well, can we have the first map up, Marwenna? And we'll just have a look at where we are. Okay? Here's, uh, Here's Israel. Okay, Jerusalem is here. Last time we looked, because of the persecution around Stephen's death... Death. Some of the believers had fled north to Antioch, okay, and then today we're we're hearing about them. Paul and Barnabas moved down to Seleucia and then across to Salamis and preached all across the island of Cyprus to Paphos. Now, this account tells us that they carried on with their practice of visiting the synagogues and preaching Jesus. Yet, just in the earlier chapter, we'd been reading about the breakthrough into the Gentile world. We'd read about the meeting with Cornelius and seeing his household saved, and we'd heard about the large Gentile church that was being built up in Antioch what's happened here. They go across the island preaching in the synagogues. Have they turned their back on the Gentiles again? Why were they spending so much time in the synagogues? I don't think it was because they'd forgotten the Gentiles, because we'll see later on they, they definitely have some successes in Gentile audiences. Rather, what it shows is that Saul recognised that the Jews had a special place in God's history. Israel had been the chosen generation to bring salvation to the world. And as such, he felt he should preach to the Jews first. This comes out when you look at some of his letters, particularly in his letter to the Roman church. In Romans 3.1 he says what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all they have been entrusted with the very words of God. And before that, in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And so, I think he had in mind that there was a natural order that God had sent. So, they worked their way across the island, preaching as they went until they reached the far side. And there, they meet two individuals in particular. And it's interesting to look at the different reaction of these two individuals. One was a sorcerer called Bar-Jesus. The other was a Roman proconsul called Sergius Paulus. And they make quite an interesting pair. And they're working together. It says the proconsul was an intelligent man. And so having heard about the preaching that was going on in the synagogue, he obviously wants to know what's going on because it says he calls for Barnabas and Paul. Now I think God had already been working in his heart because it says he wanted to hear the word of God. He's what we might call a God-fearer. He hadn't yet accepted the truth of Jesus, but he recognised there was a God, and he wanted to do what was right. Bar Jesus, however, I think, was a different kettle of fish. The name Bar Jesus, literally, it means son of Jesus. And that might be true. His father's name might well have been Jesus. It was quite a common name in those days, much like John is today. But although there's a similarity in names between Bar-Jesus and Jesus, what we see is that those names hold nothing of the truth. Because far from seeing him as a son of Jesus, the disciples declare, you are a child of the devil. You are an enemy of everything that is right. And then they distance themselves. They don't want to keep calling him son of Jesus. They distance themselves by calling him by his Greek name rather than the Hebrew name. And they call him Enimus which is simply Greek for magician or sorcerer. They weren't prepared to associate this evil man even with the name of Jesus. And interestingly enough, they they remove his name from him and call him just magician or sorcerer. And at the same time, we see a name change for Saul. For the first time, he is referred to as Paul. Now, it was actually quite common. It was common for Jews who travelled outside of Israel to have an adopted name that they used so that they fitted into the culture and fitted into the empire much more easily. And so I think it was because here in particular, he was talking to a Roman proconsul. And I think Paul was wanting to make his Roman citizenship absolutely clear. You're not just talking to a Jew, you are also talking to a citizen of the Roman Empire. Whatever the change, that name stuck. Whatever the reason for it. From here on, we read of Paul rather than Saul. So, bar Jesus, this sorcerer, is struck blind. That's God's judgment. It's God's judgment for trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And isn't it reminiscent of what happened to Paul at the time of his conversion? He was struck blind. He was persecuting God's church and he was struck down and couldn't see. The result? The proconsul is amazed. And he comes to faith because he sees God's hand at work. So what we can see from this is wherever the gospel of Christ is proclaimed, we can expect to see opposition. For those of you who did sciences at school, you will know Newton wrote a number of fundamental laws about how we understand the universe. And in his third law, he says that every action brings an equal and opposite reaction. Now, fortunately for us, in the spiritual realm, that does not hold true. There is a certain amount of truth that where there is an action, we often see a reaction, and it is opposite. But fortunately for us, no amount of opposition is ever equal to what God can do. And as a result, no amount of opposition has ever managed to halt the spread of the gospel. It may have an impact for a time or in an area, but the gospel has been advancing year on year ever since. And we read about that. Isaiah prophesied. He said, Of the increase of his government, talking about Christ, of his government and peace, There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Nothing will stop God accomplishing his purposes. So then we see Paul and Barnabas move on. We don't hear much more about what happens in Cyprus. But they move on. Reading from verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Pergia they went on to Pisidian Antioch, On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel and the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. No. But he is coming after me, whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every sabbath though they found no proper ground for a death sentence they asked Pilate to have him executed when they had carried out all that was written about him they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb but God raised him from the dead and for many days He was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his father's and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified. From everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Can we have the next map? Actually, it's the following one. So, okay, so now Paul has had another boat journey. He's moved on, he's left Cyprus, and he's headed north towards Perga. And here, what we read, is that they carry on going to the synagogues to preach the gospel. And in doing that, they don't pull their punches. In fact, what Paul preaches is strangely reminiscent of The preach that Stephen gave in his defence before the Sanhedrin. He takes the whole history of the Jews and presents it as the Gospel. Now don't forget, Paul was there to hear that defence. That's the first time we came across Saul, as he was called then, in Acts. And so you have to wonder if even Stephen's testimony at that time had more impact on him than was shown. And he concludes with a really strong challenge. He says to the people there, take care that what the prophets have said doesn't happen to you. And then he quotes a prophecy by Habakkuk. In Acts it comes out as, look you scoffers. Wonder and perish. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. comes out of Habakkuk 1 verse 5. And Paul's preaching brings immediate results. In verse 42 we read, As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogues, The people invited them to speak further about these things the next Sabbath. They wanted to hear more. They were hungry for what was being shared. And then you carry on to read about people chasing after them and wanting to hear more. And so Paul and Barnabas continued to talk about them and said, Carry on in the grace of God. there was a lot of interest in what they were preaching. People wanted to know more. So as we read on in this chapter, what we find is the following week, an even larger crowd has gathered. People have been talking about this all week. So in verse 44 it says, The next Sabbath... Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord had commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honoured the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Again we see that as the gospel advances, opposition pops up. This time it was motivated by the envy of the Jewish leaders. And so Paul and Barnabas move on. Can you bring up the next map? Sorry, they've, they've been preaching in Antioch in Pisidia which is up here, Pisidia is a the region, they now move on to Ant- uh, Iconium. Okay? And you have to distinguish between the two Antiochs. Here is the Antioch where the large Gentile church is based. Okay? This is an, an Antioch in Pisidia. So they move on. I think the next map shows them moving on, moving on to Iconium. And then at the beginning of the next chapter, we read about Iconium. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of the Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, the others with the apostles. So here again we see this pattern emerging. But this time Proclamation is accompanied by signs and wonders. But this pattern is beginning to become clear. And it's a pattern we still see today. It's a pattern of proclamation, of divided acceptance and opposition. But this time, the opposition is more serious. In verse 5, it says, There was a plan afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to ill-treat them and stone them but they found out about it and fled to the Lyceonian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news still preaching Paul and Barnabas move on again to Lystra and to Derby In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done they shouted in the Lycionian language the gods have come down to us in human form Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker sorry just to explain that Hermes is the messenger in Greek mythology of Zeus okay? the priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city brought balls And wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard this they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting Men why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came up from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So again, in Lystra, we see signs and wonders accompanying the preaching of the gospel. And for a moment, the local residents think that these two guys who are preaching God's word are gods themselves. Now here we see the first recorded healing attributed to Paul. Notice how similar it is to the first healing we read attributed to Peter in Acts 3. Both men had been lame, both had been lame from birth, and both were healed near to a temple. This time, it was the temple of Zeus, rather than the Jewish temple. In Acts 3, it demonstrated that Jesus could bring healing that Judaism couldn't. In fact, Judaism had nothing to offer that man because they'd even relinquished their responsibilities to the poor and he was having to beg. Here, on Gentile territory, it's the priests and the adherents to pagan gods that have nothing to honour, nothing to offer. And again, the people respond. But notice how in contrast to Herod who had been quite quick to take glory that was attributable to God the disciples want no part of it. They quickly say we're not gods. There is a God in heaven who does so much for you and is worthy of your praise and your glory. They quite quickly set them straight. Now I find something absolutely phenomenal in this bit. Look at the reaction of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, having seen this healing, want to accept that these men are gods. What that says to me is that they recognised that something supernatural was going on. They falsely attributed it but they recognised that God was on the move. And then look at the reaction of the Jews. They run the men out of town and stone them. Yet just earlier, a sorcerer had been getting no such attention. When they see God on the move, they want no part of it. I think it's just interesting... God's people wanted no part of it. Yet the pagans who were worshipping Zeus in his temple wanted to honour these men. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia they came to Pamphylia and then when they'd preached the word in Pergia they went down to Attalia. From Attalia they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Sorry, I just want to go back on something. Sorry. Uh, the other bit that leaves me incredulous is Paul gets stoned. To a point they think he's dead and throw him out of the town with the rubbish. So it says, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. That must have been some prayer meeting. Because I don't know what else that can have been. You know, this was not, oh look, Paul's not very well, let's help him up. Okay? It said they thought he was dead. And moments later, he's up and walking. What a result of prayer, huh? Anyway, having established these local churches, the two disciples return to Antioch, preaching as they go. Now, I just want to draw some application out of this. I know we've read quite a long passage, but I just felt it's interesting to see Paul's missionary journey in context. He'd covered a fair amount of mileage. He'd done a lot of preaching, and he'd seen a lot of people saved and experienced a lot of opposition. But what can we learn? I've got things under two headings. What we need to learn corporately as a church from this, and what we need to look at personally. I think corporately, what we need to recognise is that these two guys had been sent on this missionary journey by the church. So they went with the church's backing and authority, and when we send people places, whether it's to in another church, in another part of this town, or whether it's to the other side of the world, we need to follow the pattern that is established here. And I just want to tell you what I feel that pattern is. Firstly, they were set apart. Okay. What that means to me is that the church recognised that God had a calling on their life. It was something that was recognisable and so they said, we'll set those people apart for that purpose because that's what God's hands on them for. The second thing is, it says when we look back at that scripture at the very beginning, it was done with the laying on of hands. And that is an act of recognition and commissioning that also shows the commitment of the people sending them. The fact that we talk about them being sent. This is a definite act. It is something that has been thought and prayed through and put into action. It's not just a case of letting someone go. If we have people amongst us who feel a calling to go to another part of the world, having got before God and tested that, We need to be sending, not just letting them go. That requires a commitment on our part. And then there's a responsibility on them as well. Because the circle gets finished when they report back. You don't just send people and forget about them. The relationship continues both in terms of your support in prayer or finance or whatever else is needed but also in terms of them reporting back on how the work is going and i'm sure we read that john left john left from here and came on back to antioch actually he went back to jerusalem sorry he went back to jerusalem halfway through we don't know why but I'm sure he just started telling the church in Jerusalem what was going on. It is important. It encourages those who are giving the prayer and the other forms of support. So I think when we start seeing people who have God's hand on them for these types of things, we need to set them apart, to commission them with the laying on the hands, to send them and to ask them to report back. And that's a model we need to keep to. But now personally, every action brings a reaction. The proclamation of the gospel brings opposition. It always has and it always will. Who can testify to that? Who's actually had a hard time because they shared Jesus with someone? We shouldn't be disillusioned. We shouldn't be scared by that. Because it, although it's opposite, it is not equal. We have an almighty God on one side of the equation. And nothing on the other side of the equation can balance that. It's God's work and the gospel will prevail. But actually, we shouldn't be surprised. If we are moving the kingdom of God forward in the way we behave, in the way we show Jesus to others, we shouldn't be surprised when we hit opposition. I think that quote is wonderful. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now don't don't hear that wrong. Hardship does not secure our... salvation because if it did I know there are people who have endured hardship that I may never endure but what it does do is it does help refine our faith and that's how we need to look upon hardship it's not a punishment it's something that refines our faith Let's just stand. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.